My name is Pastor Joe. Uh, I'm the discipleship pastor here at Mission View Church, and I got to be honest, all week I was like, I don't know how to start this sermon, you know, so in Daniel, we're in prophecies right now, I, w- I was praying about it, I was like, how do, I, how do I start this, you know, do I just jump into all the information and all that, and literally this morning I was still asking myself that same question, and I was praying, I was like, okay, how, how do I begin this sermon, and Literally, I think God answered my prayer through what Jason was kind of mentioning. He said he doesn't usually speak, and then he spoke, and I was like, wow, what an intro to this sermon, right? And I could not believe it. I was like, thank you for the answer to prayer, right? So Jason shared um, how he's gone through some times of difficulty, and and really what I've had a similar experience when my wife and I first got married, and I remember going through that kind of difficulty and the, my immediate reaction was I struggled to trust God. I was a little frustrated. I was sad. I was emotional. Um, and I didn't have the logical answers that I was looking for. I just didn't know, quite know exactly where to go, where to turn to get my answer. And I really struggled with that. And I think this is a common thing, right? We struggle to trust God all the time, and we all have our different life circumstances to, that, brings, that bring us to this point. Like, why are we here right now, God? Why? But it's crazy. I was praying, how do I start this sermon? And, and this is where we're at. We're here. We're coming on a Sunday morning, and we struggle to trust God. Do, can we trust him? Do we trust him? And even listening to Jason's uh, kind of story, I was like, man, I've, I've been there. I, I've totally been there. Well, today we're going to learn from Daniel chapter 8, and we're going to learn this, that God controls the future, and guess what? <laughs> you can trust him. It's the whole message that I was studying all week, and I was like, wow, what an intro. Thank you, God, because I didn't even trust myself preparing this sermon. How am I going to intro? I don't, I don't know. So today, we're going to learn from Daniel chapter 8, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead, open up there. Um, we're going we're gonna to go there, and in the meantime, while you're open up to Daniel chapter 8, I'm going to pray. Lord God, we come before you broken, hurting, but at the same time excited because you are the all-knowing God who knows the future. You are the all-knowing God who's brought this story of Daniel to us here this morning. And Lord, we surrender our hearts humbly, seeking to understand what you have for us this morning so that it can feed us for the week and we may glorify you throughout the entire week and constantly point to you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. So Daniel chapter 8, starting in verse 1 and 2, I'm going to go ahead and read it there. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Ulai Canal. All right, so we're going to have to take a little pause here, and I'm going to explain quite a bit of information, okay? I'm going to have a chart too, so it'll be okay. Uh, you'll be able to visualize it also. So, you know, prophecy. So we have to do some information. And in fact, if you're a historian, okay, if you like history, this will be really interesting uh, 
for you. If you don't like history, you might be a little bored, but, but hang with me because it all concludes in a great point in the end, all right? So here's some information. You ready? So we need to remember the context, okay? We'll start there. Daniel and all of the Israelites, remember, they're in Babylon, exiled away from their homeland, right? They, they had temple sacrifices. They had communion with God. Um, they, they did all of those things, and they got pulled away from there, and they're exiled in Babylon. And, and remember, God did this to them. God took them away. They were disobeying God. They didn't listen to God. And so God said, I'm taking you away from your land, the promised land that I've given you. So he took them away, right? And last week, Andrew, Pastor Andrew, our youth pastor, shared, and he did a great job teaching Daniel 7, right? And he taught us that the vision came to Daniel between the reigns of King Nebuchadnezzar and King Belshazzar. So chapter 7 was in between the reigns of the two kingdoms, okay? That was the vision of chapter 7. And uh, so in the book of Daniel, the vision, yep, and this was chronologically, this was about 550 B.C. This is when this vision happened, okay? It's in the second year of King Belshazzar, is Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 7 was in the first year of King Belshazzar. Oh, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. See, information... Third year, eight chapter, thank you, Nick's over there smiling at me. (laughs) In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, I apologize. So chapter eight is in the third year, chapter seven was in the first year. All right, so I found a handy dandy chart, okay? This is going to be a great chart, it's going to come up on the screen behind us, and it's a comparison of Daniel chapter two, Daniel chapter seven, in Daniel chapter 8, okay? In Daniel chapter 2, remember, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and he went to Daniel and said, hey, Daniel, you know, what does this dream mean, right? And Daniel interpreted the dream. Now, it doesn't specifically say in chapter 2 that what these metals that King Nebuchadnezzar was seeing, right? So there's, there's four metals. See Daniel chapter 2 uh, on your screen. That would be in the far left. Yeah, okay. Far left. You're in the same way as me. Um, you see gold, silver, bronze, and iron and clay. That was in uh, the dream Nebuchadnezzar had. It doesn't specifically say this is the nations of Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. However, Pastor Matt taught us that if you follow some history, that is what those precious metals mean. This is the telling of the future of the nation of Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. That's what these precious metals in Nebuchadnezzar's dream mean, okay? Now fast forward to Daniel chapter 7, some 80-odd years later. Um, We have a winged lion, a bear, a winged leopard, and a beast, okay? These also point to Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome, okay? And these are all a future telling of kingdoms to come, to destroy Babylon. So at the time of the, of the dream and the vision, you have Babylon that's reigning in the, the reigning kingdom. And then Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome were going to come and take over each other. That's kind of the, the timeline and the chronology of this. If you guys want, this, this chart's going to go away soon. So if you guys want, this is a great time to take a picture so you can take it home and study yourself. So. Now, Daniel 8 is where we're at, and you'll see there's a line for the kingdom of Babylon and a kingdom of Rome. That's because Daniel chapter 8 does not talk about those two kingdoms. However, Daniel chapter 8 talks about the middle two kingdoms, the Medo-Persian Empire and the Empire of Greece. Okay, so, And those are going to be represented today by a ram and a goat. So we haven't read the vision yet, but pay attention to the ram and the goat. Okay, that's that's uh, Babylon, or I'm sorry, that is Medo-Persia, and Greece is obviously the goat because they're the greatest of all time. Yeah, 
Yeah, you got that. <laughs> so I want to I want to share uh, I want to share with you um, here Daniel eight verse twenty and twenty three. We are going to skip ahead a little bit because Daniel actually asks for an interpretation. He's like, I want to understand this vision. Okay, we're going to skip ahead. He asks God to understand this vision, and this is what God actually sends an angel to tell him. Okay, so I'm going to read Daniel chapter eight verses twenty through twenty three. As for the ram, there's the ram, that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. And the goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken in a place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. And at the time, at the or sorry, at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. See, right there in the vision, literally Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, is sent to Daniel to say, okay, the, the, the ram is Medo-Persia and the goat is Greece. I think we have to pause here and take a moment and like, wow, okay, so the so. You are foretelling this, right? God, and scholars uh, studied this, and, and there is a pretty big conclusion that this was written before the historical events that Greece and Medo-Persia took over Babylon. Like all the, This was all written before that, which is absolutely amazing. So history ends up fulfilling this vision of Daniel. So uh, just real quick, I'm going to tell you what this vision means, and then we're going to go back and read it together, okay? So this is it. A ram with two horns, that's the Medo-Persian Empire, and it says there's a higher horn, right? The higher horn is actually the kingdom of Persia, and then the lower horn is the kingdom of Media. The reason why the ram is one kingdom, but it has two horns, is because they kind of merged, right? The two kingdoms merged in history, and you can go back and check me on this. And eventually what happened is Persia became stronger and ended up like ruling over the land. So Persia ended up ruling over the land, uh, but they were pretty much together. And then the second kingdom was a goat, right? The greatest of all time. That's a joke. Uh, with, with a great horn, okay? The, the Greece, uh, the ancient Greek kingdom, had one great horn, and that was Alexander the Great. That's who they're talking about here. That great horn was Alexander the Great. Um, he actually ended up dying of a mal- malaria when he was at age 32. This is pretty common history knowledge. Well, it says in here that that great horn was actually taking, taken out at the time of its, his greatest power, right? So Alexander the Great had immense power. His army was swift. They were taking control of a bunch of lands very quickly, right? This is common history. And he ended up dying of malaria, like, all of a sudden at the time of great power, right? So what happens to this massive kingdom that's now super spread thin all across without their massive leader, Alexander the Great? Well, four great horns popped up. Right? It says that in the vision that we're going to read. Four great horns will pop up. These are the four generals of Alexander the Great. Four generals took over the kingdom, Alexander the Great. Uh, Alexander the Great's kingdom. Now, in the very end, we read this in verse 23. They said there was going to be one more guy who then takes over that's going to be good at riddles, supposedly. He's going to be good at riddles. Okay? 
Well, this is one of the generals. He ends up taking over all the other generals and kind of rules over. And we'll get more into him later. He's going to be an important piece of this morning. So, without further ado, let's read the vision. So, what I just told you, that's the information. That's the key to understanding this vision. So, let's go ahead and read it. We're going to start in verse 3 of Daniel chapter 8. I raised my eyes and saw, and behold... A ram, remember this is Medo-Persia, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns are high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west, across the face of the whole earth, without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. This is Greece and Alexander the Great. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him, and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him. But he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him, and there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. These were the four generals that took over Alexander the Great's kingdom. Verse 9. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. It grew great, even to the host of heaven. And some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it, together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression. And it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary, and hosts to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to, the, to its rightful state. That's the vision that we understand already as fulfilled in the Medo-Persian Empire and ancient Greece. And then ancient Greece being taken over by the four generals and eventually uh, a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes. So this is point number one. So if you have a bulletin with you, this is point number one. You're filling. And we're going to learn something that applies to our lives today. It's this. God controls the future, and he tells us what we need to know for salvation. You see, the ram with two horns is the Medo-Persian Empire, and the goat with one great horn is the Greek Empire, like we already reviewed. And after the four generals took over in Antiochus Epiphanes, one of the generals grew to power. Now, the 2,300 mornings and evenings after doing some math actually points to Antiochus Epiphanes and his reign, okay? Um, Daniel 8.17, which again, we're going to look ahead a little bit. Daniel 8.17 says this, Understand, this is the angel Gabriel 
talking to Daniel. He says, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. Okay? The vision is for the time of the end. Now, many scholars think that this is, it's fulfilled ultimately, right? The, the tangible, how do you fulfill this prophecy? It's ultimately fulfilled. But there's a massive agreement that there's some kind of pointing to the end, even into our future beyond this, right? There, there might not be an exact tangible fulfillment again of this, but um, scholars believe that Antiochus Epiphanes was actually a type of Antichrist that ruled similar to the Antichrist that will be ruling during the Great Tribulation, okay? So scholars kind of agree we can look forward from our lives until now that we can kind of learn about the Antichrist. And we're going to get more into this later, but it's not an exact fulfillment, right? The 2300 mornings and evenings, it doesn't go to great, all that. It doesn't. I, I actually thought it did for a little bit as I was studying, but it, it doesn't. It points directly to Antiochus Epiphanes, right? History proves that it's fulfilled. So with that, we kind of need to know, what do we believe? What does Mission View Church believe? What do I believe? As Pastor Joe, I've spent hours studying this. We need, we need to spend a little time figuring out what will come in the end, right? What, what does? What does the Bible tell us, right? Because we need to kind of land, we want to trust God, right? He tells us some things about the future, and we need to understand that God controls it, and he tells us what we need to know for salvation, okay? So let's dive into that just briefly, right? The Great Tribulation is something that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24, he said, when the great tribulation comes, right? So Matthew 24 talks about it, and we know this tribulation to be seven years long. Jesus will come, and he will actually rapture the believers up into the sky before it begins. And then those who have been chosen, however, that have not responded to the gospel call, with, will respond within those seven years. And during this time, the Antichrist, within those seven years, the Antichrist will actually be ruling over the great tribulation. And it will be a terrible time for everyone who lives in it. And this is, you can go read Matthew 24 and you can study it. I just gave you a brief synopsis. Um, so if, you, if this interests you, um, you can check out uh, Revelation uh, chapters 4 through 19. That all talks about the great tribulation. Matthew 24 is called the Olivet Discourse. That talks about the Great Tribulation. And also 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 6, 17 talks about the rapture. So you can go study all of that on your own, right? And it, if you didn't catch those quotes, you can come ask me afterwards or just send me an email and I will gladly send you some, uh, some things that you can go study if this interests you some more. But we have some answers here. And I'm not trying to be fishy or, you know, like I'm not trying to confuse anybody. So I'm trying to be very clear. And this is what I believe after all this study that I've done in my pastoral licensure. This is where I landed. This is where I'm at. So Jesus Christ came and this is important. I, this is actually the most important thing that I need to tell you right now uh, before I get lost in all the details and the confusion. But we can trust God, right? God controls the future, but what's important here is we need to know how to have salvation. How do we have salvation? Well, this is simple. It's literally the gospel, right? We can get worried about, oh my gosh, great tribulation, rapture, am I going to be raptured? Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? We can be worried, but we need to land on trust. 
We need to remember that God controls the future and we just need to know salvation. How do, what do we need to know for salvation? Well, it's this. Jesus Christ came. He, was, he is God. He died on the cross for your sins, for my sins. And after death, he resurrected from the dead to defeat death. And now we can have salvation. And Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So yes, there is a great tribulation coming. But you, all of us, you have what you need to know to be saved from it. That's it. God controls the future and he tells us what we need to know for salvation. All right, let's keep reading Romans, or I'm sorry, Daniel chapter 8, verse 15. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it, and behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called Gabriel. Make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And there's the passage I quoted earlier. But this is point number two if you're doing the fill-ins. God controls the future, so seek to understand what you already know. You see, we have to remember what, that we can learn from our hero, Daniel. Right? Daniel is in a time of difficulty, in a, in a city of sin, Babylon, right? And we can learn from him, right? He's got all these other influences all around him. He was in this crazy school of the Chaldeans trying to learn sorcery and witchcraft and stuff like that and wizardry. As Pastor Matt has been saying, it's like their own Hogwarts. All of that. And he's got all these influences all around him. But yet, what did he do? What did Daniel do? Well, Daniel, our hero, as soon as he got this vision, he was kind of frightened, like, what's going on? And immediately, he sought to understand it. He sought to understand it. Now, I uh, did college ministry for, for, for quite a few years. You know, I volunteered in it for a while, then I started working in it. And I'll tell you what, I, you know, the, probably some of the, and I lived through this too. I was a college student at one time. And probably one of the biggest sins I see happen to young people today is, man, when, when we find out some information about the Bible, what's our first reaction? It's to become extremely critical. Like, that's not, no, that can't be right. No. And I did that. Like, I, you know, I did that. I was mad. I was like, it would say, you know, uh, something about predestination. It's in there. And it's like, no, that can't be right. How could he not take the, you know, fill in the blank? And it, critical is like my first reaction. I've come to realize that I think if that's my first reaction towards God, the God that I'm supposed to trust, the God that has created me, the God that breathed life into me, that's actually a sinful reaction. We're not supposed to go to Scripture and immediately begin to criticize and critique. I mean, we don't do that in our marriages. That's how a, that's how a marriage falls apart. No. 
First, you seek to understand. If you want to build a relationship with somebody, you go to what that person is saying and you seek to understand. I mean, I've been so impressed with our hero, Daniel, because that's what he did, right? He's, he's afraid. He's, he's got people all around him telling him lies. And he doesn't first say, oh, man, that vision, uh, no, that can't be right. That's not going to happen. No, no, no. My king, Belshazzar, is going to be the ruler forever. What are you talking about? No, he doesn't start to criticize. He goes and he says, God, how do I understand this? And to the amazing glory of who God is, what does God do? He answers him. I love it. You see, God controls the future. So seek to understand what you already know, right? We know the gospel. We know it. But sometimes we don't always understand it in different scenarios in our life. Something happens and we want to just criticize and rebel against God and run the other direction. That is the wrong direction, Run towards God. Run to the scriptures. Seek to understand. You already know that this is the ultimate authority of God, that this is God-breathed. Seek to understand what, is, what God has already told us. And it is hard to understand. It's brought to us in a literary form. I know I personally learn so much better when someone just tells me and lectures to me, right? That, that's how I learn. I don't really learn well by reading. I mean, I kind of do. I've gotten better at it over the years. But it's hard. Right? So we got to seek to understand the Bible because God knows the future. And like Daniel, that should be our first reaction. So let's keep reading. We're going to keep reading starting in verse 19 and go all the way to the end of the chapter. I'm sorry, verse 18. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me. It made me stand up. He said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. And the goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning, he shall make deceit Prosper under his hand, and in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken, but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some time. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. So point number three, this is your fill-in. God controls the future, and here it is. Society will get worse before it gets better. God controls the future, and here's the promise. Society will get worse before it gets better. So we've already talked a little bit 
of Antiochus Epiphanes. And again, he was one of the four generals, right? And we, we know uh, that the 2300 mornings and evenings, if you do the math and look at the history, it leads to Antiochus Epiphanes. There are other things that he did throughout history that we're going to go through that lead to him being the person fulfilling this prophecy, right? He was an evil ruler, and he has fulfilled this vision that was given to Daniel and meets all criteria for the fulfillment, Right? So the angel Gabriel also says in verse 26, for it refers to many days from now. And then because of this, we can conclude that Antiochus, like I said before, is a type of Antichrist. Right? He's the ultimate fulfillment of this vision, but he does this kind of uh, type, typology is something that, that we have an image of or like a story of that points to our future, right? So he is a type of Antichrist that we can look to and kind of learn from, and we can learn what the Antichrist is like. So I'm going to quote here. Go ahead and listen for a second. Um, this guy named uh, Walverd, he says this, History has recorded that Antiochus, by taking the name Epiphanes, which means glorious one, assumed that he was God. Much as the little horn of Daniel 7 will do in the future great tribulation, his role is, a, is similar to the future role of the coming world dictator. Right? So this is Walverd. He's a, a dean, a, a professor of Dallas Theological Seminary. So this is exactly what I was saying. So we can learn four things from this ruler who is a type or a ruler in likeness to the Antichrist. We're going to learn four things. You ready? This is them. First, it comes from verse 10. I'm going to read it. We're going back to the vision. We're going to learn about Antiochus Epiphanes. Verse 10, it said, It grew great, even the host of heaven, and some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. So, Antiochus Epiphanes, he disregarded the powers of heaven. He disregarded the powers of heaven. He, he made God a small thing. It, it didn't really matter. This is something that we can learn about the Antichrist during the great tribulation that is to come. Okay? The Antichrist will disregard the powers of heaven. Completely disregard God. It'll be not important. All right. Second thing we can learn is verse 11. It became great even as great as the prince of the host and the regular burnt offering was taken away from him and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. Right, so the second thing we can learn about Antiochus Epiphanes and also the Antichrist is he set himself up as the prince of host, meaning he made himself great. He put himself in the place of God. Skipping down to verse 13. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary, and, and host to be trampled underfoot? Right? This is talking about when he destroys the temple at Jerusalem. Antiochus Epiphanes literally did this. He desecrated the Jewish temple and stopped the sacrifices given to God, and then turned the temple of God into a pagan temple. This is what Antiochus Epiphanes did after Nehemiah and the, the exiles actually went back to Jerusalem. He ended up destroying the temple. And now let's go back up to verse 12. This is the fourth thing. And a host will be given over to it. 
together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression. And it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. So Antiochus Epiphanes and the Antichrist, this is what they're going to do. He's going to fulfill the requirements of throwing truth to the ground, right? He's literally going to throw truth, the truth of God, any kind of truth, truth that's logically conclusive, he's going to throw it all away. And he's going to be a leader that's self-seeking and self-motivated all for himself. Now, I was, you know, I've been preparing for this sermon all week and I was driving to my brother-in-law's and I was listening to the radio and I couldn't believe that uh, something that I heard on the radio, I was listening to a Christian radio, it was an interview by a guy named Erwin Lutzer. Erwin Lutzer was being interviewed, I should say. So many of you have probably heard of him, um, and he's uh, been a guy that, he, I think he was a pastor of Moody Church, and he constantly looks to and talks about culture and the way culture is changing. And he literally said this. I'm going to paraphrase because I, I was driving, so I couldn't write down exactly what he says. So, Erwin Lutzer said this week, he, this was an interview this week, that the culture of our society has already been lost. He said the Christian worldview in our society can be considered gone, and the fight for society is over. I was like, oh, that is heavy stuff. Now, I share that because Erwin Lutzer says that, like, I don't know if I believe that it's Erwin Lutzer. We don't know. But this is a guy who's had a pastorate in Chicago for many, 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 many years, over, over 30 years or something. I don't know. You can go look up um, what he did and what he's done. But Lutzer's words are kind of confirming this last point for us. Society is going to get worse before it gets better, Right? We have the great tribulation and the Antichrist that we're going to. And it's going to get worse before it gets better. Now, I don't know if culture's completely been lost. Like, I don't know if I'm wise enough to say something like that. But Erwin Lutzer, a guy with tons of pastoral wisdom, has said that. And I, for one, I will fight in any opportunity that I have to push the Christian worldview. That's what us, that's what Mission View Church is here to do. We will take a stand to push the Christian worldview everywhere. Erwin Lutzer says the fight might be lost, but here's how he concluded. He said, but it doesn't matter. What, so what we do to spend our time and energy before the end comes, that's what matters. He said, we don't need the culture to share the gospel. The culture doesn't have to be for us. And he said, just ask the martyrs. This is what Erwin Luther said. He said, said, just ask the martyrs. I mean, they died. They shared the gospel, and they died for the cross of Jesus Christ. So we don't need the culture to be for us. Church, we still have a mission, and that's to share the gospel, to glorify God. Mission View's mission statement says this, and it's going to come up on the screen. No God and no others grow in our relationship with Jesus and our relationship with others. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit with others. Church, that's our mission statement. Whether the culture is for us or against us, that mission does not change. It does not matter. And like we started this morning, trust like this is hard. Trust like this is not easy. 
So I'd like to invite the band up because I want to focus on the idea that God controls the future. They're going to come up, and I'm going to read something from Revelation that reminds us that God controls the future, and society will get worse before it gets better. But guess what? God controls the future, and you can trust him. So they're going to play a little bit behind me, but I want you guys, Mission View Church, to go ahead and close your eyes. I'd like you to close your eyes, and as I read, just just visualize these words. Just listen, because this is what's coming. Then I saw heaven opened up, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And with a loud voice, he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was, who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. The rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Lord God, we thank you because, Jesus Christ, you are coming on a white horse, and you will sit upon your throne in defeat of evil and death, and we will live forever. May that hope be the cry of our hearts. It's in your son Jesus Christ's name that I pray.